And so I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> and we're going to begin reading at verse 32 through 35 for uh, our text this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me just one more time uh, to honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Uh, Acts chapter 4, um, verses 32 through 35. I'll begin reading to you. It says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them, and with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them, and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Heavenly Father, once again, we pray that you would be with us as we read the word of the Lord and hear the word of the Lord together. God, we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. And so we pray, God, that you would help us, help our faith to grow. Help us to be encouraged by your word, to stand strong and firm in the faith, Lord. Father, I pray that in this moment you would quicken hearts and minds, that we would uh, long after you, that we would be faithful uh, servants of your word. And so, God, we just uh, want to welcome your presence here this morning. And thank you, Lord, for your graciousness and mercy today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are offering uh, small groups, and I just want to remind you of that, what we're calling journey groups. There's information at the table in the back as you leave this morning uh, to grab those and find a place where you can fellowship and be in the Word of God with other people. And so uh, there'll be some people back there that can share more with you. Uh, about that. We also have prayer meeting tonight at 6 p.m., and we invite you to be a part of that prayer meeting right here uh, tonight at 6 p.m., where we will intercede for the needs of our, of our church and our community. I appreciate, again, those of you who are uh, working and serving in both of these services. You're blessed to hear this sermon twice. <laughs> and, uh, and I appreciate those of you who are, who are here uh, uh, for the first time in this service, and uh, just thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and putting into uh, the effort to reach, to reach our community for God's glory. If we go back uh, to this passage where we are, uh, where we've been working through over the last several weeks, you, as I've said before, really begin back at chapter 3. And so that's something that if this is your first time in, in Acts or Acts chapter 3 and 4, you want to go back to chapter 3 and really kind of dig in and sort of learn uh, what has brought us to this point. But a quick synopsis is Peter and John, who were apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they were going to the temple at the time of prayer. There was a lame beggar that was there at the gate. Uh, he's begging for alms. Peter sees him. Peter reaches down and picks him up, and the guy is lame, but now he's made whole, and he was uh, lame from uh, birth, some 40 years, the Scripture says, uh, a little later on. And 
it was a miracle that had happened. And so immediately a group of people called the Sadducees began to confront uh, Peter and John about this miracle. And the Sadducees, what is unique about them is that they don't believe in the resurrection. And so because they don't believe in the resurrection and Peter and John are saying this man has been healed by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who was resurrected, it creates this theological conflict. And such that Peter and John are actually taken and put in prison. And uh, they, the religious leaders try to discuss what to do with them. But because this miracle had taken place and there was no denying it, they keep them in prison overnight. And then the next day after questioning, they let them go and say, you can't preach or teach in the name of Jesus uh, anymore. But uh, Peter and John continue that. They go back to their friends and companions, and they begin to pray to God and to uh, rejoice about what God has done, asking him for favor and grace. The power of the Holy Spirit falls upon them. It says the place where they were was shaken, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. And that brings us to our text in verse 32. And so what we find as we read this text, understanding the, the context in which it is drawn from, is that the, the early church exhibited a few characteristics that I think are important for us to think about and to pray about and to ask the Lord to make so of us and our fellowship uh, with each other and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is unity within the church. We see this uh, here in our text, there was unity within the church. There was a focus on God's priorities. And then there was provision for God's people. There was unity in the church. There was focus on God's priorities. And there was provision for God's people. Verse 32 starts out and it says that those who were gathered together were those who believed. They were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have to distinguish what and who believers are, because the Scripture speaks to us and tells us that there are those who believe and yet are not in fellowship with the Lord. Uh, James 2 and 9 tells us that it's even the demons who believe and that the demons shudder in their understanding of Scripture and their understanding of the Lord. So even a demon can believe, and so it's important for us to think about what is the difference between a true believer in Christ and someone who just says, yes, he is the Christ, but he is not submitted to him and under his authority. These people who were believers, there was something distinct about them, and we see it in this particular passage. We see that they were fellowshipping together. They were of one heart and one mind. They were sharing with one another. They were loving one another, and they were encouraging one another. They were not seeking to tear one another down. They were not seeking to sow discord and rebellion, but they were seeking to love and care and be kind toward one another. This was a work of the Spirit, we're told, throughout the book of Acts. 
that it was a work of the Spirit that united the church together. It was a work of the Spirit that allowed the church to flow and live and do the work that it was called to do. There was goodwill among the believers for the purpose of advancing the gospel. There's a lot of social gospel that is out there where we go and we try to help someone and we provide certain things and it is devoid of actually sharing the gospel. It's devoid of actually going and telling about who Jesus is or why do we do these certain things. We do it because of the difference that God has made within our life. As a church, we must be appointed in the fact that as we go in the community and we seek to pray over homes and pray over people and offer food to others and do community outreach and invest resources in missions, that our primary purpose in doing those things is that the gospel message that Jesus died for lost people must go forth. We can't just do good in order to be nice and have the world like us. We must do good in order that other people will come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, submit their lives to him, and then be part of that company that is caring and sharing with one another. So this group of believers was unlike other people who would say, yes, I believe that there is a Jesus. Yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Yes, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. You can say all those things and in your mind believe all those things, but unless you have submitted yourself to him, you are not in fellowship with him. Even the Lord Jesus Christ said, there will be many who come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do A, B, C, or D in your name? Did we not do all these things in your name and because we love you and because we care for you? And Jesus says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I never knew you. That word there, to know, is a very deep and personal knowledge, very deep and personal understanding. What type of relationship do you have with the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, believers who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light are not just those who are in in seeking the Lord and desiring after the Lord. We are people whose affections have been changed. There ought to be a change. There ought to be a distinction between what we were and who we are in Christ. In writing his letter to the church in 2 Peter, Peter talks about that there are two natures One, there is a lust that leads to corruption. That can be your nature. Or you can participate in the divine nature, which leads to inheriting 
God's promises. And the way that you know that you are participating in the divine nature and inheriting God's promises is by seeking to act in a way that you are self-controlled, that you are kind, that you are loving, that are you putting off the lust of the flesh in order to be a faithful messenger of the gospel. And this is what produces fruit in the kingdom. You see, we can sit down, and I could sit down here, and I could continue to pray and pray and pray for God to bless me with a heart that loves other people, and God to help me to control my tongue, and God to help me to be a better person as it relates to other people. But what I also must do when I encounter someone who is cantankerous, and someone who is ugly, and someone who tries to persecute me, I have to learn that I have to keep my mouth shut. See, there comes a point where we rest in the power of the Spirit, but then the Spirit empowers us to realize in our mind that we have to do certain things in order to walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. And sometimes that means that you and I, in the face of those who would seek to come against us or the in, in circumstances in which we could go back and we could prove ourselves with our words or we could put that person in their place because they surely deserve it. The scriptures call us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to live in the kingdom of light, to keep our mouth closed and allow God to work it out. But too often we are tempted to take it upon ourselves. We are Tempted to seek to secure our place, our position, our authority, our desires, our wants. Instead of trusting the Lord in prayer and seeking after Him. I believe that it is a fundamental uh, purpose in our life to seek to trust God with these things. Maybe... The trials that you are encountering in your life are an opportunity for you to trust God more. Trust Him with those circumstances. Trust Him with that particular situation. Trust Him with the person at your workplace. Trust Him with your boss. Trust Him in your family relationships. Trust Him to work in your children's life. Because when I am trusting Christ, I am disciplining my thoughts, I am disciplining my words, I am disciplined in my deeds to reflect the righteousness of Christ in me. So the early church believers were not simply united in the fact that they stood and worshiped, yay, yay, we love Jesus, but they were united in the fact that we're going to treat one another as the gospel commands us to treat one another. We are going to care. We are going to share the need, the things that we have with those who are in needs. It's interesting that the majority of this passage here has to do with the way in which we use our possessions in relation to the kingdom. They were one heart and one soul. They were bonded together in unity and in purpose. They were in the daily rhythms of life together, opening their homes, sharing meals, sharing fellowship together. We must be people like that. 
We must be people who looks around the room and sees people who may not think like us, act like us, talk like us, and welcome them in to our presence, welcome them in to our homes, open doors of hospitality to other people so that we can learn and grow together in the grace of the Lord. And I can know what's going on in your life, and you can know what's going on in my life. Because you don't know how to participate in my need unless I'm willing to be open and share with you what's going on. But the other concern in that respect is a spiritual concern. And the spiritual concern is something that you and I must pray for within this church. I am convinced of it. We must pray for a spirit of discernment. You and I must pray for people who are within this congregation who God moves upon with the spiritual gift of discernment. See, discernment is not simply trying to guess what's going on with someone else or picking up on a few clues because they've been doing this or that. Discernment is a spiritual gift that is able by the power of God to see someone and help to provide for a particular need that that person has, whether it's confronting them about a particular sin or whether it is helping them with a certain issue in their life. You and I must be a people that prays for those who have a discerning spirit within our congregation. Last Saturday, we gathered together and we went through uh, some spiritual gift uh, testing and inventories. And we talked about what our spiritual gifts are and how we can use them. And I think those tests are good and necessary and very helpful. But the purpose of them is not so you can say or I can say, oh, I have this spiritual gift, praise the Lord. The purpose of them is to say, let me pray about this particular gift that this particular test says I have. And as I pray about it and God confirms that spiritual gift in my life, I am to use it now for the body. I am to employ it in the body of Christ for the purpose of advancing the gospel. We must be willing to share care, hospitality, fellowship. I shared this illustration in our first service. One of When I think of hospitality, I think of a young couple that... Uh, my wife and I had the privilege to pastor in Tennessee. And that young couple who uh, were uh, several years younger than, than we were at the time invited us uh, to their home. At that point, we had six children, and this was a couple with no children. And uh, they opened their home to us, and I remember that uh, the wife, uh, she was a, uh, a stay-at-home uh, spouse, and the husband worked at a cereal factory as a sweeper. And as we went in, it was in the wintertime, and it was cold. And as we came in the house, uh, they had shared with us prior, they paid no rent for that place, but he was just offered the opportunity to be able to fix it up uh, in exchange for them uh, living there. And when we walked in, we were in our coats from being outside in the cold, and they had no heat on at that point in the house. They had a wood stove, which was their heat, 
and they could tell the kids were younger and they were, you know, kind of playing it up a little more about the shivering and stuff. And uh, we're, we're trying to manage that. Uh, they were cold. It was obvious. And uh, they offered to put a couple logs in the wood stove and get a fire started for us. And they had processed some chickens and they had uh, chickens uh, available for us to eat as we fellowshiped around the table that evening, and we recognize that in our life and in pastoring as one of the most hospitable occasions that we've had the privilege to be a part of. People who have very little, people who are very poor, but open their home to a family of, at that time, eight people to come in and to sit around a table and enjoy a meal together. See, it doesn't take a lot. You don't have to have a lot. It doesn't have to be a Thanksgiving meal or something else that you welcome people in. You can welcome people into your presence and have hospitality with them by meeting at a coffee shop or, or meeting in a parking lot and sitting and talking and sharing, but you have to be willing to engage with other people in their life. So if you think about the people in this room today, you think about, you may look, there's some faces here that I don't know very well and some faces of people that I would probably like to get to know a little better. And maybe God would move upon you to look in those faces and say, hey, let's enjoy life together. Let's get to know one another a little better. Let's begin to do what the body of Christ in the New Testament did, which was share one heart and one mind. They were unified. And unity doesn't mean the absence of conflict. Unity doesn't mean the absence of conflict, but it does mean that differences do not create dissension. We can have differences of how to approach things. We can have a different way of looking at the world and a different way of seeing things, but in the body of Christ, even when we have a different way of thinking about things, different way of seeing things, we are willing to lay those at the feet of the Lord in order that we can pray that the gospel will go forward. In the early church, what we see as you continue reading through the book of Acts, it wasn't a perfect church. There were times when challenges came. But what they were most concerned about is, by putting, is for putting God's people who were called to preach the message of the cross out in the front lines to be able to lay a foundation that there would be those who would believe. They were focused. They were unified, and they were focused on God's priorities. Verse 33 says, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and abundant grace was upon them all. As the church was unified in heart and in mind, the apostles were then able to do what they were called to do. And the scripture says that this was to give testimony to the resurrection. The apostles had a desire and a calling to preach and teach and share the gospel message, to build a foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as God's people in the church were unified around their calling, those who were called and equipped to preach the gospel message were able to be focused on their calling. 
they were able to share the story of Jesus. I believe that much of what we see today in ministry, what we may say is vocational ministry, has actually become professional ministry. And professional ministry is why we hear stories of ministers who have moral failures, of ministers who get burned out, of those who are in church leadership who get overwhelmed. I've heard uh, stories of several individuals within the last couple years who have been pastors of leading churches who have took their lives, and it is because that we have made, I think in many instances, we have taken vocational ministry and we've tried to make it professional ministry. And we've tried to put people who are called to a task of preaching the gospel and prayer and teaching, and we have tried to force them into this mode of managing every single conflict, managing every kind of church facility, managing every kind of the finances, helping this person and that person, instead of empowering those in the body to do what they have been called to do and allowing those who are the vocational ministers to do what they have been called to do. It's easy as a pastor or church leader to become consumed by the things that others are called to do. And it's easy to accept the expectation that they get done, failing to invest the time in prayer and in study. I believe that my, as a pastor, as someone who's called to preach the gospel, and others of you have this calling as well, I believe, but my primary role as a pastor is to pray, is to study God's Word, and is to share the message with those who need to hear. To pray, to study God's Word, and to share the message with those who need to hear, preaching the gospel message. I will tell you that there are times when I'm spending time in prayer and I know things are going on here that I feel guilty. There are times when I am studying for a message and I know there are things going on that I could participate in and I feel guilty about that. But what I can also tell you is that the things that seem the most urgent are never as urgent as sitting down and spending time with the Lord when you are charged with bringing a message that impacts the eternal soul of the people you have to speak with. And so even for me as a pastor, I am trying to learn what it means to be a man of prayer and a man of the word so that on Sunday morning or whenever I have the opportunity to be at this pulpit, I could come to you and bring to you something that is full of the spirit that speaks to you from the word of God, that is life giving to you and that calls your soul to live faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what I know is that each and every one of you will stand before the Lord one day and give an account for what you have heard. And I will give an account for what I have said. So what we must do is we must pray that each and every one of us finds and fulfills our calling. 
Because when you find and fulfill your calling, what you will find is you're doing what God's called you to do, which frees someone else up to do what God has called them to do. And every one of you in here have a role to play. Everyone in here has a calling upon your life to do something for God's kingdom. Now, maybe you are not called to be a vocational minister, but maybe you are called to be a prayer warrior. Maybe it is your responsibility when you wake up in the morning to kneel down and to begin to pray for Riverstone Church. Maybe God has put a supernatural spirit of prayer upon you to where when you begin to speak and when you begin to pray, you feel the power of God move and you see God doing things in a spirit realm that you are able to intercede for. Maybe it is you who are called to be a discerner. Maybe in the time when we are gathering together and we are worshiping, you are there and you are praying and you are asking God, help me discern what is going on in this body. God, help me to see with my spirit eyes the war that is going on in the heavenlies. Because I can tell you, even in this moment, right now, if we were to open our spiritual eyes, what we would see is that there is a spiritual war that is happening. We are not a church that claims to do everything perfect. We never will do everything perfect. In fact, sometimes it's good when we realize our humanness. But I will tell you, we will try to be faithful. We will try to be faithful. And one of the things that as church leadership, what we have felt is that we must be a people of prayer. And I continue to pray, Lord, teach me to pray. Help me to understand what it means to pray. Help me to understand what it means to be an intercessor. That is why, again, from the very beginning, what we said, we want people praying. We want people to pray during our worship times. And what these people are doing, they're praying for you. They're praying that God would touch you, that God would move. They are fighting, helping to fight the spiritual battle. And we want it to be a visible sign to you that there are people who are praying. This is not just some other little social club. We will not be that. If we want to be another little social club, let's close up the doors and spend the money on something else. I'm not content to be that. If we want to be people who are part of the kingdom of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must be people who put our hand to the task of investing in spiritual things. And sometimes when we invest in spiritual things, the results are not immediate. It's not like sticking the food in your microwave and popping it out when it's hot. Sometimes you must labor before the Lord. Sometimes you and I must be willing to kneel at the altar and not feel the outpouring of the Spirit at that moment. That our mind begins to wander and we have to write down notes to get our mind cleared out because we know we have to pray and we're going to put our, ta our hands towards that task. Yes. We must be that kind of people. Yes, I'm passionate about it. I've done enough professional ministry and I don't want it anymore. What I long for is what I'm preaching to you through the book of Acts, the fire of God breaking in upon the people of God and lives changed. And we won't get there unless 
we are united together in seeking the Lord and longing after him. What was the thing the church was doing after the Lord was resurrected? They were praying. I will not be part of another church that blah, 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 blahs, all the stuff, and we put a bunch of activities together and whatever that does, and nobody gets saved, nobody gets changed, no lives are different, everybody goes off, and they hide their secret sins, and they're back here looking at the computer on their porno, or they're over here with somebody else. I want to see the power of God transform lives. And sometimes God calls us as his people to do our part. It's not just my part. I need someone helping me to fight the spiritual battle. I need someone praying for me because I don't get it all right in my head sometimes. We each have a role to play. We each have a part to play. And time is short. We must be a church that when we walk out these doors, if you're from Holly Mead this morning or in this area, you've got a postcard or a door hanger, I want to tell you we took it serious. We've been praying for you. We took it serious. There are people at these altars praying for you. There are people walking by your house praying for you because they desired for you to see a picture of the true gospel. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep Praying, prayer is not just lip service. But as we pray, as we seek the Lord, what I believe will happen is you will come to find your role in the kingdom. You'll come to find your purpose in the kingdom. And God will speak to you. And you'll become passionate about it. You'll earnestly desire it. You'll, that'll be what you think about when you wake up at night, what you're doing for the kingdom. And that will be the role that you can play. And I will play my part. And Pastor Chris will play his part. Pastor Noel will play his part. Pastor Autumn will play her part. Others will begin to do their part. And as we begin to do our part, the scripture says, abundant grace was upon them all. Abundant grace was upon them all. As the people did what God had called them to do, God's grace was sufficient and abundant for every one of them. Jesus, I just pray right now in this moment, Lord, I sense your spirit, and I just pray, God, that you would help us. God, that you will help us in this moment to know and understand your word. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us, God, to be focused upon uh, your calling, Lord. God, we desire to receive your abundant grace. We desire to be under your abundant grace, Lord, and I pray, God, you give us wisdom in this moment. Give us wisdom in this moment, Lord Jesus. Give us wisdom, Lord. As the church was 
unified together in purpose, and those who were called were fulfilling, those who were called vocationally were fulfilling their role, and those who were uh, part of the congregation were in unity and in one accord. The church began to do what it was called to do, which is laying a foundation of the gospel message among people who had not heard about Jesus or had not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes resources in order to do that. And so God provided through his people provision. Verse 34 says, For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. A few things I want to point out here, and then we will go to a time of prayer uh, together that uh, what we see here is that those who had the ability gave. Those who could give, gave. There was not a sense here that everything was given in a pot and it was kind of a commune and it was common ownership of everything, but the sense is as people were fellowshipping and engaging with one another and knowing one another and loving one another and caring for one another, that when they saw needs in people's life, they willingly gave of what they had. So when they saw someone else who needed food or clothes, they just willingly gave it because that's the principle of the kingdom. That's the principle of the kingdom, but you can't do it when you walk in and walk out and don't interact anymore the rest of the week. You can't do it when you don't know the name of people who you're sitting around. And so what these people were doing, they were sharing whatever they had for them. This wasn't compulsory, but it was a move of the Spirit to call people's hearts to generosity. They lived with an open hand, and it was a joy for them to see God's kingdom blessed. There was no needy people among them. And the church was very careful to care for its own. This is a principle of the church. When you read, particularly even in Paul's letters, it doesn't mean that we don't help people outside the church, but what it does mean is that we help people inside the church first. We have a responsibility to care for those who are in our fellowship first. Paul bears this out in other places where he writes more succinctly about it. But there were those who saw need, who cared for those needs, and they brought it to the apostles' feet. I think this is also a principle that we have to know and understand, is that, yes, there are times when we help someone directly and individually, but what we see in the New Testament most of the time is God's people selling what they had or giving what they had and bringing it to those who were in leadership in order to distribute it. And that does a couple things. One, it releases what you have to the Lord and takes away your control of it. It releases it unto the Lord and takes away control of it. Now, you no longer have responsibility for it. When you release your tithe and your offering and other things to the Lord, you don't have to worry about. Yes, we want to do everything decently and appropriately, but at that point, when you have given, truly given unto the Lord, you've given to God, and what happens with it next is up to the next person who the Lord has entrusted it to. 
But the early church recognized the authority of the apostles to be able to have leadership and oversight over the financial means of the church. The other thing that this does is it allows all of us to participate together. Because you may be blessed with a lot to give, I may be blessed with a little to give, but when we put your lot and my little together and help someone in need, we are both blessed. And no one gets the credit except for Jesus. No one gets the exaltation except for the Lord. And so this is why we put our offerings together, and we'll come and tell you this is what we are doing. This is where we are supporting it because we will rejoice together. Think about what has happened in this congregation this morning when you walked in. We sang songs together. There are times where you may sing in the Spirit, but for the most part, what we are all doing is singing the same words on the same screen to the same God together, that we would be in unity and in one accord. And then we all come at the same time and we invest in the kingdom together. We do it as a mark that we are brothers and sisters in Christ doing something for God's glory together. When we pray, we pray together because it recognizes that while we are various parts, we are one body in the Lord. Will you stand with me as we pray and ask the Lord to visit us this morning in our hearts and our minds that God would touch us We'll pray, and we will sing together. But as we pray, as you are in prayer, I must first ask if there's anyone here that you do not have a relationship with Jesus. You need to know Jesus. Maybe you know of Jesus, but you don't have a relationship with him to where your affections have been transformed by the kingdom, by the power of the Spirit. You still struggle over and over and over again with the old self. You don't see any progress moving forward. Today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the opportunity for you to lay it all before the Lord, to trust Him, and to allow Him to work in your life. We have people who would love to pray for you if you want to come this morning. You hear the voice of the Lord. Maybe, maybe it's just a move in your heart. You feel, I need to make things right invite you to come. Or maybe you are one who says, I know that I am saved. I know that Jesus is my Lord and I do see progress in my life. But I want to see the power of God 
work more strongly in me. I want to offer myself fully and completely to him. We're going to invite you to come as well. There are people who would love the opportunity to pray for you. Or if there's any need that you have, just want to lay it before the Lord. You're welcome. But as we sing, I want to invite you to find a place of prayer. If you want someone to partner with you, please come to the front. But that we would be in prayer together, asking the Lord to help us be the church and the people that he has called us to be.